0: Odd Trails contains adult language and content. If you have a story to share, send it to stories at oddtrails.com. Enjoy the show. Forget facts. Forget logic. Forget everything that seems real. And just... Trust. Believe.
1: After listening to this podcast from the bottom up, I noticed you have a lot of Filipino people writing in. I am Filipino and almost all the women on my dad's side of the family seem to see spirits more often than others. It still surprises me to hear things on the podcast that have happened to us, but those are stories for another day. This one is something that happened to me and my younger cousin. Back in 2006, my family built a home in central Texas. When we initially moved in, nothing weird happened. But as the months went on, weird stuff started happening all the time. According to my friend that was from the area, the neighborhood where they built their house used to be farmland for as long as she could remember. And nothing was done with it until they broke ground for the neighborhood. I get thirsty at night and would often get up and walk to the kitchen for some water. One night, I noticed a shadowy figure standing in the entryway to our house. I thought it was my eyes playing tricks because I was tired. It wouldn't be there every night I got water, but every now and then. Over time, the shadows started taking shape. First, it was a tall man with a notable afro, then a blob. It stayed in a blob form for a while but its final shape was that of a tall skinny man with a cowboy hat. It would just stand and watch as I got water at night and never move. I always got an off feeling but never a bad one with it watching me. Fast forward a few years later after I moved out and my younger cousin moved in with my parents. My older sister still lived there And one night, my cousin asked her if she sees the shadows in the house. Specifically, the one by the front door. My sister kept telling her it was just her mind playing tricks at night. But my cousin swore up and down she sees a cowboy standing by the front door and that he watches her. One day, I came over to my parents and she asked me if I had ever seen the cowboy at night. I immediately felt my stomach drop. No one else in the house had ever seen this shadow, except me, and I never told anyone about it either. She said it didn't happen when she first moved in, but after a week or two, it started happening. She also mentioned that he doesn't just stay in the entryway. I felt all the hairs rise on my arms, and I told her I also used to see him when I was around her age and never told anyone about it. She even said she felt an awe feeling whenever she saw him, but never felt anything malevolent. Side note, with this specific cousin, paranormal activities seem to happen when it's the two of us together. When she was younger, we were painting her bedroom in her parents' house while her dad was renovating it. We were in the opposite room when we heard boxes being pushed around behind a door across the hall. It was their storage room, so it was just junk in boxes that her mom would hoard from thrifting. No one was in the house at the time except me and her, and like I said, we were in the other room painting. Anytime we would go into the storage room, it would be dead silent. No explanation. To combat this, we would just play music so we wouldn't hear it. To this day, that room gives us both the heebie-jeebies, and neither of us like going in there. Another time, she and I went to our cousin's house. While we were standing side by side at the front door, we both heard a man's voice clearly say, Hey there. She heard it in her right ear, and I heard it in my left, as if the person was in between us. We both looked back thinking it was our cousin but no one was there. Our cousin's wife then opens the door and we ask her where our cousin was, but he wasn't even home. That's when we both looked at each other and asked, did you hear that? To this day, it gives me the chills because if it was a neighbor of theirs, they would have had to be right behind us for us to hear it so clearly. But again, no one was there.
0: This happened in 1995 when I was about 10 years old. Thinking about this still gives me chills to this day. I was in 4th or 5th grade, so this was a time in my life when I was assigned a lot of busy work as homework. For example, one homework assignment was a lot of simple math problems. The math part was easy, but it just took so much time to get it done. But I had to do it because if it wasn't fully complete, I wouldn't get any credit. I guess assignments like that were especially tough to get through because being a kid around this time, all I really cared about was playing Super Nintendo. I played video games any chance that I got. I didn't have a TV in my room at the time, so whenever my parents were not in the living room, I was quick to fire up the SNES. In addition to being a registered nurse throughout the early mid-90s, My mother was completing an advanced nursing program to get her Bachelor of Science in Nursing, her BSN. This meant that, on some days, she was gone from the early morning and didn't return until 10 at night. For a few years, there were days when I'd only see my dad and just talk to my mom on the phone in the evenings when she was on her breaks. One night, when my mother was gone, I was watching TV with my dad. After watching the show, he turned the TV off, stood up, and said that he was going to take a shower. I said, Oh, sweet, and then turned the TV back on and walked towards my SNES to turn it on. My dad said, Nuh uh, you gotta go do your homework or study. I was instantly annoyed because doing my homework was the last thing I wanted to do, especially when playing Super Nintendo sounded like a way better option. Noticing my look of disdain, My dad continued, You should have done your homework as soon as you got home. If you did that, you would be able to play video games right now. Lesson learned. Ugh, I guess he does have a point. As my dad went upstairs, I grabbed my backpack from the chair, set it down on the table, unzipped it and pulled out my books and binders. Our old black lab, Jake, who was 11 or 12 at the time, was laying under the table. I grabbed a pencil and sat down. I noticed how eerily quiet it was. I started to get goosebumps from being so creeped out by sitting alone at the table in complete silence. The sound of my pencil dragging on the paper sounded like ice skates carving into an ice rink. After a few minutes of this, Jake let out a muffled bark. It was almost as if he were sleeping but heard something outside and pushed all the air out through his mouth in reaction while he was still sleeping. Then Jake stood up and let out a bark. Just a single bark. I looked up from my homework and stared straight ahead. We had glass sliding doors in our kitchen. One thing to note is that we lived in the countryside of our town. Our property had 18 acres. The closest house to ours was at least a few hundred yards away. It was just past dusk when there was barely any light outside. The moonlight was peering through the trees, subtly illuminating the snowy backyard. Jake barked for a second time, so I looked up again, and I saw a man who appeared to be in his mid to late 30s, wearing a white sweatshirt. It looked like he was lightly running or jogging on our deck, and he was coming toward the sliding glass door. He held out his arms as if he were intending to embrace the closest person in sight. He also had a look of terror on his face, as if he were running away from something. Terrified, I jumped up and ran through the kitchen then down the hallway to go upstairs. As I was rounding the hallway banister to rush up the stairs, I heard pounding on the front door which freaked me out even more. Our front door was made of a metal material on the outside. There was a wicker wreath hanging from the front door as well. When the wind would blow really hard, the sound of the wicker rubbing against the door had such a creepy sound to it. It almost sounded like a cat that was clawing at the door in anger. When I heard the pounding on the door, I could hear the wreath bouncing and scratching. Looking back, I don't think I ever ran up a flight of stairs faster in my life. At the top of the stairs, my parents' bedroom was to the immediate left. I slammed the door, locked it, and sat on my parents' bed, facing away from their bathroom. I knew my dad would be coming out of the shower any minute. He emerged a couple of minutes later and asked what was going on. He could tell that I was shaking a bit, and he could also tell that I was scared. As soon as I saw my dad, I explained everything to him, and my fear went away. I always looked up to my dad because I knew he would kick anyone's ass if they were lurking outside of our house, even if it was more than one person. After I explained what happened, my dad said, okay, let's go outside and look. My dad opened the bedroom door, and I followed closely behind. We walked down the stairs, and he put on his shoes. He flipped on the light switch by the front door, which lit up the front porch. He peeked through the small windows that were part of the door frame, but he didn't see anybody. Then he opened the front door to get a better look, and he still didn't see anybody. We had a covered porch, so there was a little roof over our porch that helped prevent the snow from falling on it. Considering it had just dropped below freezing, any snow that landed on the sidewalk melted immediately, but snow still stuck to the grass, landscaping, and trees. My dad grabbed his flashlight and walked down the sidewalk which led to the garage doors at the end of our long driveway. He didn't see any tire tracks and didn't find any footprints out front, so he walked through the house and out the back. When my dad turned the backyard light on, It really only lit up the area with the deck. We put our jackets on, grabbed our flashlights, and walked into the backyard. He was shining the light all around, but we didn't see anybody. We heard some light wind blowing through the nearby trees, but that was it. As we walked off of the deck, my dad shone his light on the ground, looking for footprints to follow. We didn't see any footprints near the deck, so we started walking further out and around, kind of doing a perimeter check. We kept looking, but we couldn't find any prints coming or going anywhere. We walked all the way out to where the yard borders other yards and still didn't find anything. My dad finally said, Miles, I haven't seen any footprints. Are you sure that you saw somebody here? Adamantly I answered, Yes, Dad, I saw them plain as day. He told me that everything was fine and no one was around now. After that, I just shrugged it off, went inside, and finished my homework. When my mom got home, I told her the story as well. She and my dad both agreed that I was probably just spooked from sitting alone in the kitchen. But to this day, I can still close my eyes and vividly see that man in the white sweatshirt running toward me with arms outstretched as I was sitting at the kitchen table. To whoever or whatever that was, let's never meet again.
1: I have had experiences my whole life. They have ranged from feeling like I'm being watched or someone standing over me to weird noises in my otherwise silent house. But there has only been one time that I have been touched by an entity. Now I am very aware of the paranormal and how I fit into that world, but at age three I had never even heard of the word paranormal. I can remember vividly that it was Christmas time, Our tree was set up right in front of our staircase, and our stockings were hung up on the stairs. We had those stocking holders that were like a paperweight in the shape of the character. I remember at that age I had trouble lifting mine. Shortly after setting up the stocking holders, I was walking up the stairs, and just as I put my foot on the carpeted stair that my mom's stocking holder was on, it fell. Not in the slow, dramatic, oh, crap, type of fall, but more as if someone had shoved it off. I remember thinking that it was weird, but shrugging my shoulders and continuing up the stairs. Our stairs at the time were carpeted, as I said before, but they were also the type of stairs that switch directions, causing there to be a landing where they turn. I had just lifted my foot to step onto the first step above the landing. When someone grabbed my ankle, grabbed my ankle and yanked me so hard I fell and bashed my head off the stair I had just tried to step onto. I was in shock to the point that I couldn't register what had happened. It only registered once I was pulled across the landing. I started to scream as I was dragged down the maybe five steps to the first floor. My parents rushed out of their rooms and down the stairs, my mom picking me up to find my face covered in rug burn. My mom doesn't believe in the paranormal. She never has. So she tried to take in and understand what her three-year-old daughter was telling her through tears. I remember the look of fear she gave my dad after I finished the story. The look of fear that I know now to mean when a parent has no explanation.
0: This story, or group of stories, starts with my daughter playing with an imaginary friend. I know that that isn't uncommon for children to have imaginary friends, but the fact that our daughter had one was strange. She is our second, now middle, child. It's rare for subsequent children to have them, as they generally have a built-in playmate in their older sibling. She was about two and a half years old when she started to play with this friend, The interactions with this friend were very pleasant, or so it seemed. My wife and I were fine with them continuing. Also, the encounters didn't happen just at our home. When she would spend time at my in-law's house, which she did with my wife, she would play with this friend then, too. My mother-in-law would ask her about her friend. Upon questioning, we found out that her friend's name was Cassie. She expressed that Cassie looked a lot like my wife's sister. Ashley, these things weren't at all concerning to us, as Cassie seems an innocuous enough name, and our children had a great, very close relationship with my sister-in-law before she passed away. Our thoughts were that she heard the name somewhere and had made someone up who looked like someone she already knew. Many times during these events, she would be playing with her toys in her room and would be blabbering away to somebody. We just couldn't see them. Something else I should mention about my daughter. She has had some pretty serious health issues in her short life. She's almost 16 now. But she had two brain tumor resections before she was five. Our first thoughts were that maybe those experiences played some part in the imaginary friend saga. We later found out that we were wrong. Between the first two resections, when she was three and a half or so... We had to have her airlifted to the children's hospital in our city for something unrelated to these tumors. It was difficult for all of us. For her, she was scared and wanted us to fly with her which unfortunately wasn't allowed. My wife and I were panicked. Our daughter was crying and fussing as they were prepping her to fly. Then all of a sudden she was fine. She told us that it was okay. She was ready to go. At the hospital, after we were reunited, my wife remarked how great she did and how brave she was for going on the helicopter. She then dropped a bomb on us. It's okay, she said. Cassie flew with me. Oh, and she said that I could call her Fonda. It was at this point that my wife put it all together. My wife's grandmother, her dad's mom, had passed away about 25 years before or so, my wife was really young. Her name was Vonda with a V. My wife's maiden name is Carsey. So for a two to three year old kid, it's easy to see the mispronunciation of those names. My sister-in-law was the spitting image of Grandma Vonda. We had never talked about her in front of our kids, as even after 25 or more years, my father-in-law still grieved fairly heavily but it seemed that she wanted to get to know her great-grandkids and visited from time to time.
1: Back in the mid to late 1980s, when my mom was about 16 to 17 years old, She and her friends were playing with a Ouija board in my grandmother's house. Now, to give a short backstory, that house was not particularly old at the time, but a lot of tragedy had happened there. It was originally my great-grandmother's house before it was given to my grandmother, her husband, and their four children. During my grandmother's ownership, my grandfather and one of my aunts passed away in that house fast forward to when my mom and her friends were playing with the Ouija board. They decided to try and contact her deceased sister and father, but they ended up getting scared and putting it away for the night, probably incorrectly. The next morning, my mother walked into the bathroom to grab her wooden hairbrush, and upon picking it up, it crumbled into a million pieces like dust. After that, Various strange things started happening to her, like seeing things in mirrors, seeing shadow people, and every time she lit incense, it would go flying out of the holder and onto the floor. Since then, she had never felt comfortable in the house. Fast forward a little bit more to 1990, when my sister was born. Unfortunately, she passed away just a few short weeks later. Then, in 1991, I was born. My mother firmly believed that I was a reincarnation of my sister because I was born with what a lot of people like to call an angel kiss on my forehead. Being a very young mom and having lost so many people in her life, my grandmother took on most of the burden of caring for me. My grandma and I loved to listen to Art Bell, watch Tales from the Crypt, Fact or Fiction, monsters, and the Twilight Zone, so I was very open to the idea of supernatural things, but I digress. When I was young, I had a Woody doll from Toy Story, but not one with a pull string, just a regular doll. My mom would put it in bed with me every night, and every night I would wake up screaming, claiming that this doll would speak to me. Eventually, I threw it up into the attic that was attached to my room because I was sick of it. As weeks went on, I would hear various scratching and knocking at the attic door. After some time, my mother moved out, so I moved into her old room. After that, the knocking would come from the closet door in the bedroom, and I would also hear various whispers. One time, I even heard something very distinctly say. It's okay. I moved out of my grandmother's house briefly when my great-grandma moved back in, as she had terminal cancer and needed assistance. During this time, my great-grandma would call me various other people's names, usually deceased people's, and claim that she would always see my aunt at the end of her bed, the one who had passed away many years earlier. I know this is common for people in hospice, but I just couldn't shake the eeriness of it. Shortly after her passing, I moved back in with my grandmother. I was a teen at this point, and my grandmother's health was sadly declining. She was pretty much confined to one room because of this. One day, after returning from grocery shopping, I walked upstairs to the second floor, which had two bedrooms, a bathroom, and a short hallway connecting them. When I looked around, there was red yarn strung throughout every crevice of these rooms, connecting them like the lasers from Resident Evil. It was under beds, wrapped around doorknobs, around the toilet, ceiling fans, inside the shower, in and out of windows, through the skeleton keyholes, literally everywhere, interwoven like a spiderweb. After spending the afternoon cutting it all down, I went downstairs to the living room to watch TV, and the porcelain Elvis figurines and dolls my grandmother collected literally flew feet off of her shelf. It was like someone had thrown them across the room. My friend and mother were witnesses to this. We ended up packing them away in containers and putting them in the attic as well. After that, Other various weird things would happen, like noises and whispers. Oddly enough, every time you would open this silverware drawer, it would turn the TV on and off. Shortly after that, on Christmas of 2005, the house caught fire and burned to the ground. Sadly, the firefighters never came in time, and during this tragedy, we lost my grandmother, all of our pets and our belongings. The only thing that was left in the debris was one singular, four-foot patch of a wooden picket fence. Now, 18 years later, the only thing that still stands in that vacant spot is that piece of fence. The grass doesn't even grow there. Can I attribute this to the paranormal? I'm not sure, but that house definitely had some bad juju. All in all, I think many tragic deaths within a home can really cause a dark, looming cloud of negative energy. Nothing paranormal has ever happened to me again after that, aside from the random hat man meetings and the occasional lucid dreaming, which I'll save for another time. I also refuse to watch Toy Story now, even at 32 years old.
0: Hello, my name is Lou. I reside in a little rural community in the Central Valley of California. We are regarded as the world's fruit basket. I lived with my grandmother and her boyfriend while I was in my early twenties. My grandma used to work at a fruit packaging plant. During the summer, she frequently worked 16 hour days and I'd go three or four days without seeing her. Her partner worked as a general contractor and was frequently away from home my grandmother opted to rent a home in order to be closer to work her commute took about 1 hour each way we relocated and she was now just 15 minutes away from her workplace it was a lovely house possibly built in the mid 1990s we didn't move in immediately since she was extremely busy with work i was a student who only attended school 3 days a week on my off days I began moving our belongings. Of course, I started my own room because it meant that I could invite my girlfriend over without having anybody else in the house. In one day, I relocated my entire room to the new house. Because the house didn't yet have cable or internet, I slept on the couch for another week or so. Nicole and her three-year-old child needed somewhere to stay for a few days. My girlfriend asked if it was okay if they stayed in the new rental property because nobody else was there yet. I wasn't thrilled with the idea, but they had been sleeping in her vehicle, and I felt horrible for the kids, so I said that it was alright. My grandma agreed that it would be better for her son. On Friday morning, I gave Nicole a key and she thanked me. Friday and Saturday passed. Nicole arrived at my girlfriend's place, where we were hanging out, and returned the key to me. We essentially assumed she had found another spot or a family member to stay with. Nicole stated that she would never return to the house. She stated that she experienced an odd sensation in the kitchen on Friday night when getting water for her son. She decided to close all of the doors in the house because it had an open floor plan, and it weirded her out. From the kitchen, you could see almost every door in the house. She then returned to the bedroom. She shut and locked the bedroom door and she heard doors opening and closing with dishes clinking in the sink all throughout the night. She assumed it was simply the house settling, though. The next morning, except for the entrance door, all of the doors in the home were open when she awoke on Saturday. She quickly panicked, gathered her son, and went to get some food. When they returned to the house later that day, all of the doors were shut. The owner had left the patio furniture in the house's fairly big backyard. So she sat in the yard and watched her child play. She saw that there were blinds in the house moving while they were in the backyard, as if somebody were peering out and watching them. It started with the kitchen window near the sink. Then there were the large curtains on the rear sliding glass door and the side window where the garage stood. She was terrified. She had nowhere to stay and was obliged to sleep at the house for the sake of her son. She stayed outside as long as she could, only returning inside to sleep. She heard some banging noises, as previously, but this time, the doorknob moved as if somebody were attempting to turn it. She had been up all night, terrified. She awoke to find all of the cabinets and the dishwasher open. She fled the house with her son. She stated that she would rather sleep in her car. My girlfriend and I found this scary and strange. The house could not possibly be haunted. We'd both been there and saw nothing out of the norm. After two months, everybody had moved into and unpacked the house. My grandma, her companion Esteban, and my aunt were there. It's worth noting that Esteban and my aunt spoke very little English and mostly spoke Spanish. I ultimately set up my computer in the living room since it had a large bay window and it was a wonderful area to play WoW while watching cars drive by. I was playing for a few hours one day when I witnessed something go from my grandmother's bedroom to the octagon-shaped corridor where the bathroom was. I swung my head to the left to see what it was, but there was nothing there. I didn't even consider it a ghost or anything else at the moment, and I returned to WoW. This happened on a regular basis throughout the day and over the next few weeks. While I was gaming, what I described as a black shadow would dart around the waist-high wall that separated the kitchen from my grandmother's bedroom door area and charge right at me. When it charged at me, it would vanish as soon as I turned my head, It didn't frighten me, but I knew that there was something there. Several months later, my grandmother and Esteban were barbecuing. I stepped out of my room to get my lunch and I joined them at the kitchen table. Esteban and I didn't say too much to each other. We had a love-hate relationship that I tolerated, but he inquired whether or not I had seen what he called a phantom. I speak very little Spanish and I asked for my grandma to assist me in translating. Esteban claims he sees the phantom all the time. He sees it rushing back and forth, reaching beneath the bedroom doors. He also stated that he had a radio next to his bed that would switch on on its own. My grandmother claimed to have seen it as well. She stated that she simply ignores it and that it doesn't bother her. When she questioned my aunt about it, She claimed it would be in her room while she slept. She described it as a black, shadowy figure with a cloak and a wide, round-brimmed hat. We were all of the same opinion about this ghost. When my grandmother paid the rent the next month, she questioned the owner about the house being haunted. She then told him everything that happened. She stated that he did not appear surprised. But she denied knowing anything about it. We stayed at the house for another year before moving out. We still worry if the individuals living there are experiencing anything similar to what we did. I currently live about a mile away from the home and I frequently drive by it on my way to work, wondering what is going on inside.
1: I have two stories to share. These happened to members of my family. This first story happened to my mom and sister back in the 80s, so no smart cars with keyless access. We used to live down the street from a small shopping center. It was a short walking distance. You could walk to the very end and back within 10 to 15 minutes. One day, my mom and sister drove to the grocery store and did their shopping. While at the register, my mom is trying to get her keys out, but she couldn't find them. She pays for the groceries, goes outside of the store to continue looking. She cannot find them for the life of her, so she decided to walk home to get her spare key. She was pretty pissed, carrying groceries and walking along with a young kid. They finally get to our house. My mom then goes next door to my great aunt's house to get the key to go inside our house. She opens the door, heads to the kitchen to grab the spare key, and lo and behold, her car keys are on the kitchen table. The exact car keys that she used to drive herself to the grocery store. Now for the second story. My brother-in-law is known to be drawn to spirits, ghosts, etc., My sister and brother-in-law live in one of our family homes, which has been in the family for over 50 years. One of its longest owners was my great-aunt. She and I were extremely close. She was like a second mother to me. She passed away when I was 17 years old. My brother-in-law didn't come into our lives until about 8 or 9 years later, so he has never met this particular aunt, has only seen pictures of her but when she was very young. One day, while they were coming back from the store, they were offloading their car. He saw someone at their front door, as if they were waiting for them to go inside. He looks at my sister, and she says nothing about it. He then asks her, Was your aunt a tall, slender woman, with short, dark, curly hair? She looks at him slightly puzzled, and responded with a, yes. He then continues to ask, did she wear a long nightgown with ruffles at the bottom? My sister again, finally seeing where this was going, responded with another, yes. He finally told her that he was seeing our great aunt at the front door. The moment he told my sister this, she disappeared. My sister did not even look at the door, She simply told him not to worry about her, that she was a good person and is looking over them and the house and continued on her merry way. Unfortunately, she was not the only one to come and visit. Simply put, my sister bought a haunted hat and whatever was attached to it was not good. She had the hat in their bedroom for a couple of weeks, but when my sister would wake up in the middle of the night, she would wake up to darkness and heaviness, as if her eyes could not adjust to the dark. They live in a busy city, so there is always some sort of light peeking in. She kept moving it around the house and everywhere she moved it to, it was the same thing, just darkness and heaviness all around. Her recent move for it was to the laundry room. The house layout is an open space so from the living room and dining room you can see through the kitchen to most of the laundry room, which heads out to the backyard. One night, my sister and brother-in-law were in the living room watching TV when they heard the loudest sound coming from the laundry room, as if everything inside had fallen hard to the ground, or if a ton of people just came charging in. My sister jumped and ran into the hallway between the bedrooms and was frantically asking my brother-in-law if she could grab a gun from their bedroom. He just sat frozen on the couch, in the exact same lazy position he was in before the loud sound. My sister kept trying to ask him, Should I get the gun? What is wrong with you? Why aren't you moving? After a couple of minutes of this, he finally got up and told my sister that he was going to check the laundry room and go outside to walk the yard. After checking the yard and even the alley that the house is next to, he came back in and said he didn't see anything. After they both calmed down, my sister finally asked him about his reaction and why he didn't do anything from the very beginning. He simply told her that he fully expected to see someone or something go through that doorway and come towards him and he was waiting for it to happen. And that he could hear my sister asking about the gun, but all he kept thinking was, a gun was not going to stop, whatever that was. My sister got rid of the hat the next day. So we ran a little long in the last episode and didn't get a chance to bring up the Myers-Briggs thing.
0: Yeah. You want to do it now? You just want to jump right into it? Yeah. As soon as you brought it up last time, I got excited, but then I realized how long we had been going. So I'm stoked to get into it. I mean, you know me, I'm not really big on this kind of thing. I To quote myself, it puts me in a box. I use air quotes there. Um, I don't like that kind of thing, but you're so adamant about this that I'm excited to do it. Yeah, I'm adamant about it
1: in the sense that it can be used as a valuable tool. It's insightful to an extent. It's not a hard science by any means, and that was going to be part of my disclaimer. Nothing is set in stone. You don't want to put anybody in a box, but for what it's worth, it is interesting because they are user prompts so it's not just hey you were born on this date so this is what your personality is like no shade to astrology but this is a little bit more involved sure so a lot of people already know what the Myers-Briggs test is so I'll keep it brief it was developed by Catherine Cook Briggs and her daughter Isabel Briggs Myers in the 40s they didn't have any formal education in psychology they were inspired after reading Carl Jung's book Psychological Types which I highly recommend, and not to appeal to authority, (laughs) the reason why I can at least sprinkle a little meaningful insight to it all. If Jung had fully fleshed out and marketed his work as the Carl Jung-type indicator, I think it might be more well-received than the Myers-Briggs is today. As long as it's not Freud. I can only imagine Freud's internet search history (laughs) if you were with us today. (laughs) Ways to make your father disappear, followed by
0: best- honeymoon locations to take your mother <laughs> that's good i like that so um i did take the test that you sent to me uh do you want to know what i was oh I'm gonna guess
1: it and tell me if I'm right okay go ahead e fj all the way yes yes exactly <laughs> you knew me i knew you I knew you'd guess yeah yeah that's that's one of the things why i do hold a little weight to it is it's not necessarily easy but if you know somebody well enough and you know the myers-briggs test well enough you can guess what somebody's type is and kind of infer from there. I can
0: honestly say one big thing that I hate about it was I have two jobs that I worked at. They tried to get everybody to take the test so that we could better know our coworkers and quote, foster a positive work environment and respect each other's boundaries. And it was just like, it was so cringy and Just everyone was so uncomfortable being like opening that that much at work, you know, like we're all there because we have to be. Come on, let's let's not do this. Right. Yeah, there's a time
1: and place for everything. And I think it has been misused in that sense. A lot of ways, I think it's probably caused a lot of people to lose out on jobs because of that. Um, but it, it's a fun parlor trick. It's it's a notch above the Harry Potter quiz on Facebook. So what else do we know about the Myers-Briggs test? You get asked a series of questions, usually true or false, and they all pertain to how you behave or process the world around you. They average out and get broken down into four categories, each having one of two functions that you more closely align with. Okay. Are you inwardly or outwardly focused,
0: meaning are you introverted or extroverted? So that that one, I'll stop you there. Yeah. I took the test twice. Mm-hmm. The first time it was E, the second time it was I. Mm-hmm. I think I'm an introvert extrovert. So that I'll, I will say that. Yeah, you're an ambivert. Yeah. Totally normal. Okay. And then
1: you have, how do you take information in intuition or sensing? How do you make decisions, feeling or thinking? And finally, how do you live your outer life—perceiving or judging? Mm-hmm. And each of those have different letters, as you, as you can imagine. Yeah. So extroverted ENFJ, extroverted intuition, feeling, and judging. Mm-hmm. Me INFP, introverted intuition, feeling, and perceiving. And I know that's a lot, but like all other categories, it's just a scale. Just because I'm an introvert doesn't mean I avoid people at all costs or that extroverts can't enjoy alone time.
0: Yeah, or just because somebody is a thinker, it doesn't mean that they didn't cry at the end of the notebook, so to speak. I think we all did. Try being a feeler and watching Dear Zachary. I
1: don't think I fully recovered. (sighs) Yeah, that one was rough. So on to how we take information in. We covered the introverted, extroverted thing a little bit. Intuitive types like to imagine possibilities. Uh, we live inside a gray area and are comfortable living in the clouds, I guess you could say. Just more figurative and metaphorical with our speech. Yeah, And you have sensing types who are more literal and they tend to rely on what's concrete and practical, their five senses, past experiences, things like that. Generally, they're just more grounded in their approach to life. Mm-hmm. And then you have Feeling versus thinking, which boils down to how we make decisions. Do you follow your heart or rely on logic? Feelers tend to come off as sensitive and empathetic, whereas thinkers are seen as more rational and impersonal. Think Lisa Simpson and the comic book guy. Yes, perfect. And then finally, we have perceiving or judging how we prefer to live our outer life. This is what Myers and Briggs added to Young's observations. Perceivers are generally more go with the flow, spontaneous, and prefer not to have schedules or deadlines. Mm -hmm. Me. Judgers like to have things planned, organized, and prefer to abide by the rules. 100% me. Yep. Yep. Then all four letters of your results combined, Captain Planet (laughs) descends from the sky and bestows upon you your Myers-Briggs type indicator.
0: Yeah, it's insane how accurate it is, but do the letters affect each other? Like, does introverted perceiver use that function differently than the extroverted perceiver?
1: Yeah, but that's where things get too convoluted to explain here and now. (laughs) Okay, I'll just say that even if you share three out of four letters with somebody, the functions correlate differently. An INFJ isn't just a more introverted version of an ENFJ, for example.
0: Well, that's definitely interesting. I will say I read several other personality profiles, and even though there's always going to be some stuff that I can relate to, the ENFJ page was easily the most accurate, and you had me do it blindly. Yeah, at the time, I didn't want you to read anything after taking the test.
1: Mm -hmm. I just wanted the letters so I could send you the summary of three other types along with ENFJ, and see which one resonated with you the most. Kind of like what I did with the astrology thing and my dad mm-hmm. got him with the Leo.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm going to read the first few sentences of the INFP profile from 16personalities.com where we took the test and see if I think it fits you. Sure. So, although they may seem quiet and unassuming, mediators, INFPs, have vibrant, passionate, inner lives, creative and imaginative. They happily lose themselves in daydreams, inventing all sorts of stories and conversations in their minds. Mm -hmm, I see this. Uh, These (laughs) personalities are known for their sensitivity. Mm -hmm, I see this. Uh, Mediators can have profound emotional responses to music, art, nature, and the people around them. Yes, that's all pretty accurate. So they are idealistic and empathetic. Mediators long for deep, soulful relationships and they feel called to help others but because this personality type makes you such a small portion of the population mediators may sometimes feel lonely or invisible adrift in a world that doesn't seem to appreciate the traits that make them unique i can say i've seen that on your face before (laughs) on my face yeah, I've I've seen that I've seen that feeling on your face, the lonely invisible adrift in the world that doesn't seem to appreciate the traits that make you unique. Yeah, that's a uh, pretty spot on. I've been called aloof many times.
1: Yeah. For better or for worse. I
0: I always take it personally. I'm, you know, because the way that I am, I always think that, oh wow, I'm being boring. He's mad at me. This sucks. <laughs> and then I I take it personally and I just like I shut off. <laughs> just go do my own that's thing. That's so
1: funny. That's <laughs> so
0: funny because
1: I I do the same thing. I I catastrophize really easily, same. but everything, what I do, I keep everything internally from the get go. So there's never like a moment where I'm, we have me at a hundred percent and then I shut down to zero. I'm pretty much constantly at a 30% as far as my social battery goes, but me too. yeah, it's just weird for me. Like I can completely shut down, not, not talk to a soul for a week, but be totally fine. That's just me recharging. But yeah, the, the test is pretty spot on in that regard like when I was a teenager, I definitely felt so misunderstood, like all teenagers do. But I remember feeling so special, like, no, I'm more different than everybody else. And then as an adult, taking the test for like the hundredth time and confirming like, holy shit, yeah, there are just some people out there that don't really vibe or mesh well with the norms of society. And that's not just me trying to sound special. There's, several other personality types that kind of get wedged into a weird corner that don't necessarily fit in. I'm going to go ahead and read yours so the audience gets a taste of Tate. Okay. (laughs) Protagonists, ENFJs, feel called to serve a greater purpose in life. Mm -hmm. Thoughtful and idealistic, these personality types strive to have a positive impact on other people and the world around them they rarely shy away from an opportunity to do the right thing, even when doing so is far from easy. Yeah, that's me to a fault. It's my greatest weakness at the same time. Yep, I see it. Protagonists are born leaders, which explains why these personalities can be found among many notable politicians. Yuck. (laughs) Yeah, coaches and teachers. Mm -hmm. Their passion and charisma allow them to inspire others, not just in their careers, but in every arena of their lives, including their relationships. Few things bring protagonists a deeper sense of joy and fulfillment than guiding friends and loved ones to grow into their best selves.
0: I feel that. Yeah, and when they don't grow into them, their best selves, uh, I lose it. I feel like I've failed and i beat myself <laughs> up and I take on the strife. <laughs> That's so <funny>. Fucking protagonist. <laughs> God, I hate it. man. <laughs> I hate it. It's so accurate though. Yeah, I I, I actually uh, am glad that we did this because it just kind of, it vindicated me for my shortcomings and my flaws, but also made me feel good about, you know, the positive things about myself too. And got, you know, I got to learn a little bit about you, but I would encourage any of our listeners, if you guys want to uh, send in some of your results, if you took the Myers-Briggs test, I'd be interested to see what our audience is like.
1: Yeah, yeah, I am very, very curious.
0: Yeah, I mean, how many of you out there are
1: INFPs or ENFJs? Fun fact, INFPs and ENFJs are considered soulmates among the Myers-Briggs world. I don't know why. That, I think a- it's that-,
0: that shit always works out for us. I don't know.
1: It does, it does. I've only met a couple ENFJs of the opposite sex and... Yeah, sparks were flying, so maybe there is something to it.
0: Yeah. Well, I can hear your dogs in the background, and it's time for (laughs) me to go to dinner. Yeah, let's wrap this up. Absolutely. Uh, This week you have heard Cousin Connections by Natasha, The Guy in White on the Deck by Miles, My First Paranormal Experience by Abby, Cassie by Jay Walker, Bad Juju House by M, The Phantom by Lou, and Guardian Angel, and From Good to Bad by Melanie. All of the stories you've heard this week were narrated and produced with the permission of their respective authors. If you have a story to share, make sure you send it to stories at oddtrails.com. And don't forget to sign up for our Patreon for ad-free versions of all of our episodes at a higher bitrate, so you're going to get the best listening experience. And finally, don't forget to check out the new episodes of my other podcasts like Let's Not Meet, a true horror podcast. Welcome to Paradise It Sucks and the Old Time Radio Cast at crypticcountypodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you all next week. Everyone, stay safe. Peace out.
1: And the ghouls disturb you, darling.